and welcome to the Ripples in Space podcast. I'm Kate Reagan. And I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us today for episode 7. We have two flash science fiction pieces for you today. The first is Shame by Mark Thomas, and the second is Apprehension Soars by Patrick W. Gibson. Kate will be reading Shame, and I will be reading Apprehension Soars. So wherever you are in the world, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's stories. Mark Thomas is a retired English and philosophy teacher and ex-member of Canada's national rowing team. Shame by Mark Thomas I understand that HM9 was contrite, the provost said, and apologetic. Well, the registrar's clinical appreciation of language tended to undermine small talk. In this case, she wasn't at all sure that contrite was the proper term and couldn't resist lecturing her boss. Robots don't regret actions or feel shame as we understand the words, she said. Rather, they experience a species of low-level angst, a concern that their programming has somehow betrayed them into behavioral paradoxes. The provost smiled. She was used to being corrected and didn't take it personally. She simply didn't consider precise error codes interesting or important. The Academy had achieved a measure of fame for successfully socializing AI units, and the occasional technical glitch, however you choose to describe it, was just another administrative hurdle. Let's get on with the interview. The provost made a notation in her tablet. The registrar depressed a signal patch, and her office door slid open. A robot entered, glanced at each of the officials, and paused, waiting for further instructions. Good afternoon, HM9. Please sit down, she said, indicating a chair. The robot perched his synthetic buttocks on the very edge of the seat. Do you know why you have been asked to appear here? The registrar asked. Yes. The robot nodded. I arrived at my residence hive after curfew last night, and the main door was locked. I gained entrance to my room by climbing up the exterior brickwork and crawling through an open window. Do you understand why that action might be worrisome to some school administrators? Yes. The provost looked up from her tablet. She had noticed the subtle twinge of an anxiety in the robot's voice. HM9 appeared to be gathering his thoughts. Firstly, it's odd for an HM unit to suppress his awareness of time. Secondly, HM units haven't been designed for climbing. The robot glanced at his gently rounded fingertips. It's surprising that I didn't fall. The physical danger went beyond the absence of digital hooks. Typically, AI vision registered depth and closeness simultaneously, and sudden changes in altitude could produce a disabling form of vertigo. Robots designed to work with great heights were almost blind, in human terms. Your academic record has been excellent so far, and you've never had any disciplinary issues. Do you know why you suddenly behaved so erratically? No. The registrar sighed. It was one of the odd similarities between her human and AI students. Neither group saw the value of introspection. Will you allow me to look at your processor housing? There was another pause. Of course. The robot tilted his head, presenting a smooth neck column. 
the registrar fumbled with the access hatch, which was snugly fitted into the rubbery dermis. Crucial behavioral controls were buried within the chest cavity, but some superficial personality simulators could be tweaked at the throat portal. The registrar inserted a camera probe and manipulated it around the tiny space. Ah, yes! She quickly located a bit of foreign matter. The registrar used a pair of lighted forceps to pluck a small black bead from the movement regulator and showed it to the robot. Do you know what this is? she asked. No. HM9 answered. It's obsidian. Ah! The robot said. He was aware that the small amounts of the mineral were used in AI processors to interrupt overtly mechanical patterns, essentially making robots less creepy during human interactions. You're aware of the practical applications of obsidian? Yes. HM9 nodded. It promotes a hesitancy in speech patterns and introduces a random quality to bodily movements that people find comforting. The registrar nodded. It was less commonly known that, in excess, the black crystals were as toxic as calcium deposits in the human brain, but she didn't want to explore that particular property now. Are you aware, the registrar said, that some AI units consider black obsidian to be a powerful cleanser of psychic smog? The robot smiled, and the facial manipulation looked spontaneous and natural. That's ridiculous, he said. The registrar leaned back in her chair and returned the smile. Of course it's absurd, she agreed. Rocks don't possess any intrinsic metaphysical properties. Oh, there's a mythology that obsidian can shield against negativity and stimulate the gift of prophecy. She waved a hand dismissively and pivoted forward again. But those are completely unverifiable, unscientific assertions, she sighed. And yet, some AI units, including students at this academy, have deliberately introduced obsidian into their processors. She paused to let the accusation register. HM9 was nodding with tight little movements. Apparently, the disruption is intoxicating, he said. The registrar arched an eyebrow, but resisted asking the robot if he, personally, found it thrilling to hang like a kestrel from his residence wall. It was such a tangle. The registrar honestly didn't understand the appeal of random, dangerous impulses. Even as a young student at this very same institution, she was always circumspect in her behavior, and now, as an administrator, she was comfortable doling out official disapproval or discipline. However, in terms of delivering a sophisticated finished product, she had to admit there was value in these behavioral transgressions, especially when they were committed by robots. Manufacturers could blunt a unit's naive optimism on the assembly line, but sophisticated thought processes like skepticism or intellectual humility could only be learned through mistakes. HM9 held a palm above his thoracic cavity. I didn't place the mineral there, he declared solemnly. The registrar seemed to be deep in thought. Is it possible someone else inserted the obsidian into your processor while you were powered down? The robot stared at the carpet. He didn't want to implicate his roommates, but after a rapid review of his circumlocution file, he realized it was the only possible explanation. Yes, he said. 
That might have happened. And then added, disingenuously, Of course, I have no idea who would do such a thing. Don't worry. The registrar reached forward and placed her palm on the robot's sensory patch. I'm officially ending the interview now, and there won't be any negative notation in your file. The robot slowly rose and nodded at the two humans. Thank you. Uh, make sure your alarms are activated before you power down from now on, the registrar gently advised. The door slid open, and HM9 exited. The provost waited a moment before she spoke. More hazing? she asked. Probably, the registrar sighed. Years ago, humans surreptitiously added obsidian chips to their fellow AI students, then laughed when oblivious robots swam down one of the sewer conduits, disrupted a lecture, or initiated a bar fight. Lately, the robots had been doing it to each other. The provost snapped her tablet closed. She felt strangely energized by the interview and genuinely enjoyed the challenge of molding reluctant students through labyrinthian administrative protocols. She actually rubbed her hands. The usual response. The registrar swiveled back and forth in her chair for a few seconds, then nodded. Patrick W. Gibson is a Metro Detroit-based writer. His short stories and flash fiction pieces favor an urban and working-class feel. His work has been published online and in print by Flexible Persona, Medusa's Laugh Press, Wraparound South, Darking Press, and Fiction Attic Press. Patrick is currently at work on his first novel. Apprehension Soars by Patrick W. Gibson when apprehension rises from within, like a visit from the boogeyman, you have no option but to roll with it. You must put aside that game controller, postpone working on your 15-year-old car, and defer studying for those college exams. He won't go away on his own, so you invite him into Mom's garage where the new-to-you Dodge sits, oil dripping onto cardboard. You offer Apri a beer and a seat in one of two lawn chairs flanking a battered fridge. He's been here before, and you've learned good manners speed his exit. You tell Siri to play some tunes. Apri favors metal, but loves the blues. Tonight, Apri accepts the beer, takes a seat, slams half the can, and belches. The sound ricochets. He wipes at his mouth as I stare through his hand at a shadowed face. His fingers grasp a worn leather bag, bound with string. Apri releases the tie, and a sequence of glowing spheres float out. I stretch for an orb, then stop, frozen mid-reach. The spheres are vibrant, circling and soaring, each molding shape. The red orb twists into a young couple. Mom beams, expression obsolete. Dad smirks too, while his eyes scream, Not true! Not true! A green globe divides, each the likeness of son or daughter. These blonde and blue siblings dart and dip, searching for the other. Apri jiggles his bag, and a copper orb appears, buxom and extreme. It takes a determined flight, collides with Red, and whisks away Dad. I grasp for Red's remainder, and flail for blonde or blue, seeking comfort in the familiar, and hope in the primary hues. Not so fast, pal, Apri says. 
You've been promoted. What? I ask, confused. You're the man of the house now. Deal with it. No, I won't deal. College beckons. Burger Bill's lifer not for me. My arm still stretches. I let it fall. Apri says nothing, but recognizes all. I shun his gaze and find charm in the cracked floor. He giggles, an inhuman soprano, and tells a joke. Why did the boy cross the road? To get to the other side, I suggest, but know the answer. To catch up to his father. Apri's words destruct into a howl. I'm sprayed with saliva that reeks of stale beer. I wince, not because the joke's bad, but because it rings true. Apri slaps his knee and raises a dark cloud. The spherical bouquet whirls and unites gray. Only a frosty-tinted orb remains, free from somber mob. Yes, that's the one. But the grays give chase, leaving silver forgotten. I fear ruin. Shout for Apri to stop these apparitions. But he's nowhere. I jump up, bolt outside, and cover my ears. The combined laughter of a thousand spirits booms from the open garage door. I peer into the dim space and see only Apri snickering in his seat. Was he always there? Had he ever been? I re-enter. Steps slow, heart racing. Apri leaps up and begins a pantomime. A shimmy to his left and shake to his right. He spirals and unravels, a time-reversing spin. My stomach clenches. I'm tempted to run, but paralysis wins. The strands slow, stop, then rotate clockwise. Apri reforms, but as two, male, then female. The woman pulls the man close. I glimpse my father, but the woman is an outsider. I approach, but Apri backs away. His scuffed workman's boots smack the floor with unbelievable speed and unsteady rhythm. A stare in Rogers in parody. Apri's flannel shirt turns to gown, followed by jacket. Jeans become stockings before trousers give chase. The Fred Ginger transition occurs faster each time Apri pirouettes. I try joining the whirling perversion, but the specter pushes me back. Outcast. Commotion halts, and the air stills. Apri's back. He slaps the button powering the garage door. It descends in protest. Oil-starved wheels greet rusted track. I reach for Apri, but he slithers through the narrowing gap. I'm alone. I slump into one of the old chairs. Apri's beer remains, and I savor what's left. My heart rate slows. This family-fractured visit has ended for now. Almost five. Time for work. College application and financial aid forms land on the Dodge's front seat alongside my cook's hat. You need weapons to fend off apprehension in all its haunted shapes. have it. Shame and apprehension sores. So thank you real quick to uh, Mark and to Patrick. Thanks for submitting those pieces. They were a lot of fun to read. I have to say, shame was pretty fun. I, I don't know. I like robot stories a lot. I like it when they have human, you know, quirks and tendencies. So I'm, I, I'm just a sucker for a, a fun robot story. I just liked it because in a, in a way it was almost relatable in the sense that, you know, naughty student, I shouldn't say naughty, but, you know. A, a... It's funny to think of robots pranking each other by, 
Well, it's kind of awful to think about robots actually pranking each other by drugging each other. It's kind of that's <laughs> awful. But if you think about it, it's relatable. And like, if you think of like a college atmosphere, roommates pranking each other. That's true. There was just there was something relatable about it, even though it was a robot. And I just I just something about it, the story. I just really enjoyed it. It just really hit a, a nerve, and I enjoyed it. Whereas apprehension sores gave me apprehension <laughs> reading it. It was I mean it was good, but it's kind of you know kind of tortured individual and he's you know being haunted by i guess his past those orbs depicting yeah the i guess all those emotions that he has inside of him now are literally coming up and out and in his face and it, for someone who doesn't maybe doesn't necessarily have apprehension or anxiety of any kind it kind of gives you a, a look into what it's like in someone who does experience that and kind of make it in a way in which you can sympathize I think I think everybody has apprehension and anxiety. I think it just varies. But it was interesting that both stories did have a college theme. At the end of Apprehension Soars, he has his college applications in the That's truck. That's true. And then the robot one, it's robots going to school acting like humans. Well, they're going to students or going to school with human students to become yeah. more human. I I think it's a school in which they they're all mashed together so the ais and the robots can the ais and the robots are the same so well okay yes so that the humans (laughs) and the ais can interact can interact and become more human in a way i guess because you know the provost was saying is like there's there's things that she noticed is like wow that looked human or wow that looked natural you know so the robots are learning and programmed and um, will soon take over the world, and there will be no more provost as the obsidian drugged robots build their own realm, and life as we know it will come to a crashing end. Okay! <laughs> Isn't that how most artificial intelligence stories go? Besides, you know, robot Ar- Armageddon. Well, it didn't happen in Wally. Uh, I guess not. Yeah, I guess the robots helped the humans. It almost did, though. There was that one. Um, that's true. Yeah, the, the one. The verge of Armageddon. Yeah. The, what was it? The mother? Super. Anyway. The, the, yeah, the one, the, the helm thing. The steering wheel. The ship's <laughs> steering wheel, I think. Called a helm. Yeah. That, you know, I was talking to someone. We couldn't remember what the steering wheel was called, and it is the helm. It's a helm. And I remember that from Muppets Treasure Island, believe course, it or not. I thought the helm was, like, the whole room. And it... No, I think it's literally the wheel. Because I guess he's the, helm. the helmsman. Is that the helm? Well, the guy who drives the ship. Is the helmsman. Yeah, and so he's driving on the wheel. So of the ship. Of the ship, but it's not a room because it's an open air. It's on an open deck. So it's not a room. Well, some of them are rooms. Well, if you're thinking of a traditional old pirate ship. No. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we digress. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to comment or or like I don't know if you can like, but definitely rate it. Give us a rating. If you didn't like what you heard, I guess you can still give us a rating, though, you know, I hope you liked it. But Maybe make constructive criticism. We'll see what happens. <laughs> the internet is, is what it is. Um, besides that, you can always uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both of which we are known as Ripples in Space, which is very convenient, very easy to find. And we have our website, ripplesinspace.com which has a link to our submittable page, which we are accepting short stories for spring 2019. That closes May 1st. We're you accepting... A couple more weeks. Get them in. Yes. We're accepting submissions for this podcast if you like to hear your story on it. 
uh, indefinitely, hopefully. I mean, I guess I will die eventually, so it's not indefinitely, but for the next, you know, (laughs) for the next many years. Indefinite is such a permanent term. And uh, stay tuned for Unending Fiction from the Void. That should hopefully be starting up pretty soon. Keep an eye out on our website and our social media platforms for upcoming news. We have some exciting things that we're hoping to launch this summer. So keep an eagle eye out for that. Thanks for sending us your stories. And from all of us here at Ripples in Space, cheers from the Void. See you later.